Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saving Minds, the podcast that uncovers the best of what's new in the search for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease treatments. I'm Shanti Skiffington. And hello, I'm Elliot Goldstein. And we're your hosts. Today, we're welcoming back uh, one of our previous guests, Dr. Jose Luis Molinuevo, to speak with us about AAIC. Now, uh, this was the Alzheimer's Association's annual conference. It's a very big conference, and he presented some very exciting data there on biomarkers, which he had alluded to when he spoke with us earlier this year. And he's back now to share his perspective on these data, as well as the other news coming out of the conference, which took place in July. Um, And just a little background on Dr. Molinuevo. Uh, As you may recall, he's a scientific director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at the Barcelona Beta Brain Research Center in Barcelona, Spain. And he's widely recognized for his clinical research in Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and other protein misfolding diseases. So welcome, Dr. Molinuevo. We're very pleased to have you back today. It's my pleasure to be back again. Great to have you on board today too, Jose. Thank you for making time. Yeah, no doubt. It's my pleasure. So let's uh, kick off our conversation with, uh, I think, just your perspective on the mood at this year's AAIC. I think the mood is is excellent. I think it's very good. Uh, As as you know, uh, recently, uh, Bajajen filed uh, Kanumar for being uh, considered a, a, a new treatment for Alzheimer's disease. So that clearly, when something like that happens, that increases the mood because it's telling us that we are getting there, that we are uh, still, if you can file, it's because you have done something which has sufficient, let's say, power to maybe be uh, granted an indication. So uh, the mood is great. I think people feel that that we are really moving forward. Uh, New treatments are uh, coming up as well, uh, new approaches. So I think in general, people are seen a chance that we can defeat this, this disease. Well, that's really exciting, uh, Jose. Um, and you mentioned aducanumab, uh, manufactures Biogen. Um, you participated in a session sponsored by, uh, by Biogen. And could you just give us a, a brief outline of some of the key points you discussed, since this was really big news, wasn't it, at the AAIC, aducanumab's upcoming um, you know, a priority review with the FDA and ultimately potential approval in uh, Q1 next year. Yes, uh, exactly. So, so in, in this symposium, basically, we cover uh, some of the potential issues that we may be facing in the near future, considering two things, uh, how the system, uh, how ready the system is for upcoming new treatments, and in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we try to describe, to start with, how the system is uh, right now, uh, its potential readiness, and to try to give some clues on how we can improve uh, our system, especially, as I said, in the context of the pandemic. So, for example, uh, to start triaging or trying to select potential candidates early on for treatments like aducanumab or other disease upcoming modifying treatments, pre-screening them with blood-based biomarkers, for example, or using even digital technologies to screen them and in the future even to follow them up and things like that. So that was the main aim of the symposium, trying to put into context how we are right now and start discussing the potential things that we can do in order to transform or uh, get the system ready for upcoming treatments. It's certainly 
thrilling to be at this point. I mean, certainly you as a researcher must be just um, elated to be able to be talking about how to how to administer a new drug for this terrible disease. Just segueing here, you also released some very exciting data at AAIC, um, and you alluded to this in our last podcast. So could you tell us more about it now? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, uh, as, as you have mentioned, we, one of our huge research programs in Barcelona, it's called the Alpha uh, Study, and that's a longitudinal study but the interesting part or the differential part from other cohort studies is that we are including people from 45 to 65 years old, cognitively unimpaired. Uh, some of them uh, had a history of Alzheimer's disease in the family. So it's a population slightly enriched. That's clear uh, because we know uh, from their APOE4 status. So it's slightly enriched, but it's very early on. It's a very young population. So that allows us to study the earliest changes in the biomarkers even before amyloid appears. So one of the things that, that we already published uh, is that as soon as soluble amyloid changes from, let's say, normal values to abnormal values, all the other physiopathological cascades start to change. So uh, P-tau starts to increase right after soluble amyloid changes. Uh, same with neurogranine, NFL, Estrem, YKL40. So we are seeing a whole of changes of cascades when soluble amyloid changes. And that is happening prior, let's say, full amyloid deposition in the brain. So those participants of the study have a mean of 30 centiloids. So very little amyloid in the brain. And, and still, we are seeing changes. The study that I presented uh, complement this previous study that we published because basically what we did is uh, create groups of people that have uh, subthreshold amyloid levels. So they are not amyloid positive from a PET perspective, but we are seeing a signal there already. And those people already have high PTAU, high neurogranine uh, levels. So very exciting, showing that changes in other physiopathological cascades actually happen much earlier than what people consider in the past. So, Jose, it, it seems like uh, what we've called the biomarker revolution, and particularly the ability to um, measure and follow biomarkers in the blood, which is obviously very convenient and you know, relatively non-invasive. Um, the New York Times actually picked up on uh, these developments at the AIC and did a rather extensive article, as you know, on a new blood test for Alzheimer's disease. How significant is this, the develop is, is this development for Alzheimer's disease, its detection, treatment, and ultimately its prevention? Yep, uh, I fully agree. I think it, it's extremely relevant. Uh, that blood test was PITAU. Uh, right now, the results of PTAU in blood depend very much in the, in the assay that you are using and in the lab. So still, it's something that we cannot generalize. But in a specific lab and with a specific assays, you can get very, very good discriminating results between people that have already Alzheimer's dementia from normal controls. And that is uh, happening based in a blood test. So that means, uh, in, in practicality, that means if when someone comes in into your clinic and you know has a mild dementia and they ask, is this Alzheimer's disease, you can actually would be able to tell them through a blood test. 
So I think the next step is to improve the capacity and the accuracy of these tests to be able to discriminate the presence of Alzheimer's pathology in people without symptoms. And we are, in fact, actually working on that, trying to define if, if these blood-based biomarkers are also able to discriminate those uh, with high accuracy, those that still have no symptoms but already may have the pathology, because that, as you just mentioned, opens up the door for prevention. Yeah, this is really just an exciting time after, you know, more than two decades of frustration and, uh, and, and difficulty and obstacles to finally start seeing that diagnosis and uh, disease-modifying treatment is becoming available. Uh, on, on that subject, sort of more generally, what, what, what's your opinion of what you see lying ahead for Alzheimer's disease uh, in 2021 and, 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 and beyond? Uh, specifically, two points maybe to address it, if you can. Um, Biogen's aducanumab clearly is, brings a meaningful, clinically significant, although relatively modest um, effect to patients. So this sort of begs the question is, what might be next, next generation therapies that may improve upon uh, this initial start with, uh, you know, with Biotin's aducanumab, assuming it's approved uh, early in 2021? And, and, and secondly, what role do you see uh, convenient, especially blood-based biomarkers playing in the clinical development paradigm? Yes, uh, two very good questions. Um, as, as you are saying, I mean, uh, aducanumab probably is going to open a new door for, for all of us and for uh, pharma companies to develop upcoming drugs. So it's very clear the magnitude of the effect is not huge, but we are seeing for the first time two things. A disease-modifying treatment that removes amyloid, and, and as we discussed in the previous podcast, uh, it is my hypothesis, and there is data kind of uh, with similar components kind of, of showing that, that this is because they are removing the toxic soluble species. Um, so for the first time, removing this toxic soluble amyloid species uh, from the synapse and the plaques as well, because that may also have an impact, um, is, is creating a clinical benefit. So that's the first thing that we are seeing. And the other is that we are treating an earlier population, which is a mild cognitive impairment, obviously due to AD, but still it's milder than mild dementia. So we are treating a pre-dementia population with a disease-modifying treatment and seeing a clinical effect. So that's a complete change in the paradigm. And, and from there, obviously, there are two Several things may be happening or are going to be happening. One, we can try to go earlier with these kind of compounds and see the amount of benefit that we get. And then we are going to be developing other compounds targeting other pathways like, uh, for example, tau or uh, the inflammation related with estrem, uh, astroglial, et cetera, et cetera, to see how can we tackle the disease from different uh, mechanistic pathways. So I think those things are going to be happening regarding um, treatments and disease-modifying treatments. And regarding blood-based biomarkers, it clearly does open the possibility of, of start selecting participants for trials based on blood-based biomarkers. And that is going to decrease the cost very much because you could uh, do, for example, a PETA or blood-based. I mean, as a function of that, you may have a quite good idea, not only of the levels of tau measured with PET, but also uh, potentially the levels of amyloid in the brain. So that will give you some clues of who are uh, the ideal participant to enter the trial or not. So triaging participants for trial may be a reality using blood-based biomarkers. Well, it sure sounds like uh, the upcoming 
12 to 18 months and beyond uh, will really mark a difference with light emerging finally at the tunnel uh, as we make this progress, which says to me, Shanti and Jose, we'd love to have you back for a third podcast as some of these developments become available or there's more to say. Yes, please. <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm starting to enjoy this with you two guys. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much once again for joining us. Um, you've given us a lot of great information. So, so valuable to hear your perspective after being at AAIC and we look forward to our next session with you. Thank you. It's always my pleasure. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, Elliot and Shanti.